We will begin at 1 Kings 15, picking up at verse 16. There's war now between the southern kingdom, King Asa, and Baasha, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Judah and Israel. So it works into the history of God's people as we're, of course, being taken through uh, history as the Bible records it, with it focused finally upon the redemption of God's own people. So here is, a, here is history along the way. Well, let's look at it beginning in verse uh, 16. It was war between Asa and Baasha, the king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah, built a high tower so that nobody belonging to Asa, the king of Judah, would be able to leave or enter. There was the, the southern kingdom upon whose throne sat the son of David, in the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, where was, where was located the temple, of course, that Solomon had built, the temple of Yahweh, and the real worship of Yahweh. These were strong and important elements in the life of Israel. Well, the northern kingdom didn't have those things, and the southern kingdom did. It, apparently, there was an ex, there was there was exchange of people, but mostly, apparently, the exchange of people was such that people were leaving the northern kingdom and wanting to be a part of the southern kingdom. So, this king of the northern kingdom, Baasha, decided that he didn't like that. He wanted to keep things like they were. And, um, and began to build this tower and this, uh, this wall to, to enforce uh, the rule of boundary here. So Asa took all of the silver and gold that remained in the treasuries of the house of Yahweh. I have that highlighted because that's a no-no. He doesn't have that kind of right he could draw on other treasuries. Now, if you go back a, ca- a chapter, maybe it was in the other book, Second Chronicles. Anyway, if you recall, when he was making all of the reforms in Judah and correcting all of the bad things that his daddy had done, he brought the treasuries that he had kept been keeping in his house and the treasuries and silver and gold that his evil father had been keeping in his house. And so in this time of, of reform, he brought it all and gave it to the, to the temple treasury. You may remember that. King David, every time this, this started back with King David, when he would defeat the enemy, he took the spoils and what wasn't necessary uh, to pay his army and do other things, he took all of the extra and put it into the temple treasury. 
He took all of the uh, artifacts that were precious to the culture that he had defeated and he put them in the treasury. It would have, it would have been a very valuable uh, place, this treasury. That practice obviously had stopped. Then I saw through his reformation, started it back and gave it all back, but now he's taking it back. So he takes the silver and gold that remained in the treasuries of the house of Yahweh, along with the treasuries of the king's house. He entrusted them into the hands of his servants. King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Kezion, the king of Aram, which is Syria, who resided in Damascus. And he said to him, there is a treaty between me and you and between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a gift of silver and gold. It would have been a significant amount of money. It was a bribe. Go abrogate your treaty with Baasha, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, that he depart from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and he sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And he struck John and Dan and Abelmeth Maacha and all of Kinnereth with all of the land of Naphtali. So the bribe works. And he pays him off. He, the, Asa pays off Ben-Hadad so that Ben-Hadad would break his alliance with uh, Baasha, the northern, uh, the, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, this meant that uh, Baasha would uh, now not have the advantage that he had. Uh, it should also be remembered that um, it was a much larger force in a previous chapter. It was a mar- much from Cush, you remember from Ethiopia. It was a much, a million and a half men and then their chariots. It was a much larger force that came against Asa and the southern kingdom. And Asa went to the Lord, he went to Yahweh and he prayed and and sought the Lord's face uh, in a better day. And the Lord gave him the victory even though he was greatly outnumbered. And he didn't ask for anybody's help. If you remember in the scriptures, there may have been others to come and help him, but the Bible doesn't say so. He didn't ask for their help. The Lord gave him a great victory where he was just overwhelmingly outnumbered by professional, very, very large professional world-class army from Ethiopia. They were, they were well known in that era uh, for their military might and their economic prowess, they were, they were much of much of that time they rivaled Egypt uh, in in power and importance, and Yahweh just gave the victory to Asa. Well, what happens here? He goes to a pagan king. And seeks the help of a pagan king against Baasha, 
the king of the northern kingdom, and that still is Israel. Those people are still Israel. As a matter of fact, we have first and second kings because the account of the kingdoms and the chronicles of the, those kings, uh, distinctive king, those kings and those kingdoms, the acts of all of those kings and those reigns as king in both kingdoms continue to be recorded all the way to the destruction of the northern kingdom and then the demise and enslaved and slavery enslavement of the southern kingdom Nebuchadnezzar so these people because their history is recorded in parallel with the history and of the people in the southern kingdom they were they were God's people they're part of the covenant uh, people of God so the Holy Spirit continues to call our attention to the record of both kingdoms. But the king of the south, the king of Judah, seeks the help of a foreign king. Now this is after, as I said earlier, this is after the tremendous victory that Yahweh had given him over the Cushites, the the Ethiopians. And as Baasha heard this, he refrained from building the high tower and he resided in Terza. So he, he stopped his building project. He was building a wall. <laughs> but he was doing it more to keep his people in than he was uh, to keep other people out. He was losing people to the, to the southern kingdom. But now he knows he can't handle by himself the southern kingdom. So he quits his project. King Asa proclaimed to all Judah without exception. And they carried the stones of the high tower. Now this, this was really a big project. The building of this tower and the wall that would have been going along with it. Uh, it, was a, it was a large construction project. A lot of material had been uh, put into the project. When uh, Baasha withdraws and stops doing what he was doing, King Asa proclaims to all of Judah what has happened. He proclaims to them that uh, the, the war with Baasha is over. Not just that. He tells his, his princes, his governors, and so forth. They send people to go and get all of the material that had been used or was being used to build the tower and to build the wall. The timber and everything, a lot of it probably hadn't even been installed yet. And has them to take it and bring it down into Judah, further into Judah... And when he has all of this project, this, uh, this material from the project of the tower and the wall, King Asa built with it Geba and Benjamin and Mitzpah. Now these would have been fortified cities. So he, 
he plugs a hole that obviously existed in his defenses regarding the northern kingdom. Now let's look and see how the chronicler in 2 Chronicles 16 uh, records this. Beginning in uh, chapter 16 in verse 1. The 36th year of Asa's kingdom by Asa the king of Israel advanced on Judah and he built the Ramah so as not to allow anyone either to leave or to enter to Asa the king of Judah. And Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of Yahweh and the house of the king. And he sent to Ben-Hadad the king of Aram who dwelt in Damascus saying, there is a treaty between me and you and between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go and abrogate your treaty with Baasha, the king of Israel, that he may depart from me. It's very obvious that Baasha could not continue this without the assistance of Syria or Aram. Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and he sent the officers of his army to the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon Dan and Abel Maim and all the storehouses of the cities of Naphtali. It came to pass when Baasha heard that he stopped building the Ramah, the tower, and he discontinued his work. King Asa took all of Judah and they carried away the stones of the Ramah and its wood which Baasha had built and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. So taking the construction material away and using it for the construction of his fortified cities that he would build saved him a lot of money. <laughs> Somebody else already had the stones cut. Somebody already else had the timber cut and it was laying there to be used in construction and he just goes and gets it which shows you that Asa had been the one who could claim victory over Baasha, Judah over Israel. Now here comes a prophet, Hanani, and he brings a message to Asa. We continue in 2 Chronicles 16 with verse 7. And at that time, Hanani the seer, the prophet, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, when you relied on the king of Aram and you did not rely on Yahweh, your God, therefore the army of the king Aram escaped from your hand. Yahweh, as it's developed here, not only would have given Baasha into the hand of Asa, but he would also, given, he would also have given Aram or Syria into the hand of Asa. But Asa thought he had a better idea. He goes to seek and, uh, an alliance and make a confederation with Syria when he could have just walked in and took it himself. Verse 8. Were not the Cushites and the Labima huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? When you relied on Yahweh, he delivered them into your hand. The implication here being that the Arameans, the Syrians, the Arameans, and the Israelites of the northern kingdom together were not as powerful as the army of the Cushites and the Labim and didn't have nearly as many people or, or, or uh, equipment, 
whatever. So looking back before this, before this war started with Baasha, everything had gone in Asa's favor. He was reforming the kingdom. He brought back or brought into the treasury of the temple what really belonged there. Not only what he had, but what his father had, uh, had taken. And everything was going right. He, he removed people who needed to be removed uh, because they had turned their hearts toward paganism. Uh, he, he reinstated the, true, the worship of the true and living God. Uh, and there was penalty to be paid if people didn't get back into the kind of worship that uh, God's people should be in. And so God gave him peace. You may remember that. God gave the land peace and he gave Asa peace. And so that built up their prosperity. Then Baasha comes along. and He's going to do what he does in building the wall and invading at least that part of Judah. And as we saw, for whatever reason, Asa did not go to Yahweh like he did when the Ethiopians, the Cushites, came against him. Just somehow his heart turned. And he made the terrible mistake of depending upon himself rather than depending upon God. That's not the first time, of course, that happened in uh, the Word of God. Probably, well, there's so many examples, but one of the greatest examples is when Sarai, Sarah, took things into her own hands and relied upon the law of the Canaanites a law which stated that if her husband, in this case Abraham, 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 if her husband, if she gave her handmaid to her husband, then any child that might result would be Sarah's child. That was the law of the Canaanites. And so she took matters into her own hand and <laughs> Abraham went along with it. And and so we have the situation we have today in the world because of that. And there are so many other cases that we'd spend so much time looking at where people just decided uh, to take things into their own hands. Well, this is, this is a problem that people have. Why can't, the, you know, the Bible is a Bible that teaches us to live a life of faith absolute dependence upon our God. Carry everything to him. Trust him. Have faith in him. And God will take care of it. All things, He's made the promise that everything is working for our cause, for our good. So why did the king do, King Asa, why did he do what he did. Well, he's getting scolded from Yahweh through the prophet. You relied on Yahweh and Yahweh delivered that massive force into your hand and you won a great victory. 
If you had relied on Yahweh here, not only would you have defeated the northern kingdom, but you would have walked away with a victory over the Arameans, Ben-Hadad as well. Now, why is that? Because Ben-Hadad was an ally of Baasha, the northern kingdom. They were in alliance. That's the only way that Baasha, the northern kingdom, felt confident enough to attack Judah and to begin to build that tower and, and, and the wall that went along with it. So Asa, instead of appealing to Yahweh, decided that he would bribe the Aramean king away from the alliance with the northern kingdom and into his favor and then he could defeat Baasha. Here's the problem. Well, there's several problems, but one of the main problems is that he took, he took treasury that wasn't his. Um, he brought it in and he got a pat on the back, I'm sure, from all of the people when he surrendered what his father had, what he had. But then he goes and takes it back and he does something wrong with it. There, there's just a, one thing is compounding on another in the life of Asa. The prophet comes and scolds him. For Yahweh, it's a great lesson. His eyes run to and fro throughout the entire earth to grant strength with those whose heart is whole toward him. Now, if you look at that, that's not just limited to Israel and Judah. That's all over, all over the world, the entire earth. Yahweh has his eyes on every leader, on every nation, on every set of circumstances. Nothing escapes him. He knows the hearts of those who really trust him. And what does he say? It says he grants strength to them. When strength from Yahweh is granted to a world leader, Nothing can stand in his way. And it is a testimony to Yahweh because this leader has shown himself to be a follower of the true and living God, to follow with his heart toward Yahweh. But here's the bad news for Asa. You have dealt foolishly in this matter for from now on, you shall have wars. Previously, he had this great promise of peace because he sought Yahweh, he sought to please Yahweh, and he won a war based on the word of Yahweh, a tremendous war. Then he just forsook it. And so now, instead of peace, it's going to be war for the rest of his time. Well, this made the king, Asa, made him angry. And Asa was incensed against the seer, the prophet. And he put him into the prison house, for he was wroth with him about this. And Asa crushed some of the people at that time. These would have been the people who were in agreement with the prophet. 
that Asa did the wrong thing. So he makes some kind of strange statement to his people in his kingdom that he's not going to put up with even a prophet and the people who follow the prophet if that prophet brings him a message from heaven that he doesn't like. Puts him in prison, crushes those who follow after him. Then we have the account of the death and burial of Asas. Uh, chapter 16 and down in verse 11. Behold the deeds of Asa. Now look at this, the first and the last. That's an interesting inclusion because at first he was good. Things seemed to go well. And the people prospered because of what the king had been doing. But then the chronicler also carefully says, also told about the last things that he did and how the people suffered and how Asa, how he had such a high estate and esteem in the eyes of the people, but then he just lost it all because of how it ended with him. And Asa suffered from a foot ailment in the 39th year of his reign until his ailment spread upward. I'm going to tell you, he had gout, I'm telling you. That'll put you in bed. And also in his illness, he did not seek Yahweh. Look at this. <laughs> if gout don't make you pray, nothing's going to make you pray. And he didn't pray. He did not seek Yahweh. But he sought the physicians. And Asa slept with his forefathers. And he died in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in his graves that he had dug for himself in the city of David. And they laid him on a couch that he had filled with, uh, that he had filled with spices and diverse kinds of spices prepared with the perfumer's art, and they kindled an exceedingly great fire for him. I have a feeling that he still came to the point where he stunk. That's just my opinion. Now here's how 1 Kings 15 puts it. The remainder of the acts of Asa with all of his mighty deeds and all that he had accomplished and the cities which he built they are inscribed in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. However, during his old age, he was stricken with a foot ailment. Now see, this guy makes it a little more pleasant. He's not as straightforward as the chronicler. But he was stricken in his old age with a foot ailment, and Asa lay with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead. The story will continue as we get into it next time, but for now we're going to have our deacon prayer time.